0: May 21st, episode 71, This is the Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. Yesterday, they announced the finalists for all the awards. I thought Monty Williams already won Coach of the Year, man. That was on Clay Thompson, bro. I seen Klay congratulating him on Twitter. I was like, oh, okay, bet. So that's my bad. But I want to go over the three finalists for each award, give you my picks, and why. So let's go. Let's start with the MVP. I'm not going to tease y'all. The finalists are Steph Curry, Nikola Jokic, and Joel Embiid. Those names have been shuffled around all season long. At one point, LeBron was in it. Giannis always has to be under consideration. Um, Dame, you know, Luca. I think, wasn't Luca the, the favorite when the season began? All right, He's nowhere to be found on this list now, right? Look, I'm taking Steph over Jokic because I'm a Warriors fan. That's what it is. That's what it is. Nah, man, nah. Honestly, they've had even years. Jokic with the better record, both of them obviously dealing with significant injuries to their team and their roster. I think the fact that Jokic has never won it, he's played all the games, the better record, I have no problem with, with the Joker winning it right now. Um, so that's who, that's who I would give it to. But I had said last week that I feel like Steph might win it, man. I think, you know, you hear the word narrative all the time. The narratives, the optics, social media. I think that's one area where Jokic is just really lacking, right? He, he doesn't have a social media presence where Steph has a fleet of stands, rightfully so. I'd give it to, to Jokic, objectively. Um, now, again, I still feel like Steph has a real chance at it. Um, and obviously, I'm not going to be that mad if Steph wins it. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what, though. If I, As a Warriors fan, I'm not really tripping off Steph winning it because I want him to come back hungry, chasing it again next year. <laughs> maybe that's just selfish of me. As far as Joel Embiid goes, look, 51 games is just not enough to me. Seems maybe kind of arbitrary, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, c- I couldn't give it to him on that. Let's move on to Defensive Player of the Year, Draymond Green, Rudy Gobert, and Ben Simmons. Where's TJ McConnell at, man? I kept seeing TJ McConnell on people's lists. I mean, you want to talk about doing more with less, <laughs> much less. No, TJ McConnell is, uh, is a pass, man. What was he? Second in the league in steals. This might be the most difficult award for me, right? I think there's a strong argument for all three of them. Draymond came on very strong here at the end of the season. And for a playoff series, for a one-off, for a game, I have a hard time not choosing Draymond, right? We can talk about potential. We can talk about the body of work this season. He may not have had the best overall defensive season, but you saw what he did to AD the other night. And in a vacuum, it's like, okay, Draymond, you've got to go stop this guy in the fourth quarter. I have a hard time not picking him out of anybody else in the league. But at the same time, if you want to look at the numbers, he probably has the worst argument numbers-wise. I heard a lot of players kind of trying to throw their name in the hat for this award Drew Holiday um someone else right and I think the reason that they can do that and that's no slight against Drew right like obviously we know Drew's a great defender there there's not really numbers attached to this as to this award like all the other awards right with coaching it's the record you know MVP obviously it's just the offensive stats across the board this award particularly it's much more subjective And so that's why I think more guys can kind of try to stake claim to it. Now, as far as Ben Simmons goes, I think you could make the argument his degree of difficulty is the highest. What they ask him to do to guard lead ball handlers, wings, bigs at times, that's probably the most impressive thing of all three. The argument against Ben Simmons, though, is how much does Embiid lurking behind him help him as a rim protector? right? That allows him to be so aggressive out there. I think Ben Simmons would still be a finalist in this category without Joel Embiid, but it, it needs to be acknowledged. And I think it will count against him when voters are, voters are going to take it into consideration is what I'm saying here. Then you got Rudy Gobert, who's in the conversation every year, right? As he should be. And his numbers are pretty much the exact same. The thing with Gobert is it's the shots that aren't taken, right? It's His discipline to stay down and just hover, kind of understanding his presence is just enough. And uh, again, you know, I don't really have a problem with any of them winning it, but I'll go ahead with Ben Simmons because I think, again, what he's asked to do is the most difficult. To guard on ball, fight through all those screens, it's just so taxing, man, where both Draymond and Rudy, they're obviously very good at what they do. I think it's less demanding, right? They kind of play safety you know, hover and linger and play team defense where Ben's on ball getting the assignment every night for him to do that, I'm going to go ahead and give Ben the defensive player of the year. Most improved the finalists are Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr., and you guessed it, Julius Randle. It's going to be Julius Randle, right? Like, how can it not be? You know, look, it's one thing to take a step from okay to good, It's another thing to take a step from good to star. But when you take the step to superstar, that's the hardest one to take, right? And I think we all kind of kept waiting for Julius to come back down to earth, and it just didn't happen. This is who he is now. He's a legit franchise player. Can't be more impressed with Julius Randle this season and what he's done. Um, Jeremy Grant you know, I was I when when they signed Jeremy Grant, I was one of the few that was like, I don't think that's that bad of a, a contract. I th- I think that that was fine. I don't think he can be considered most improved because it's just volume. He went to a team, became the number one guy. The numbers were inflated because he's he's the number one guy. So, and that's not a knock on him, but I just don't think it was that much of an improvement as opposed to just getting more touches. Now, Michael Porter Jr., I'm glad his name got thrown in this. I think he deserves some recognition. But I think he has a step or two more to go. And so he'll have another shot at this award in the next few years. But, you know, it, it wasn't that big of a jump. Not like Julius Randles. Not again, not all jumps are created equal. It's one thing like when you're a rookie or a sophomore and you go from not doing anything to average in 10 or 12. OK, that's a step. Right. But that's not as difficult as some of these other steps. Each step gets harder to make is my point. So Julius Randle, yeah, he's got to be most improved. I don't think it's much of a conversation. (laughs) Moving on to rookie of the year, Anthony Edwards, LaMelo Ball, Tyrese Halliburton. I'm going to be a prisoner of the moment. I'm going to give it to the Ant-Man. And LaMelo seemed to have had the edge all season long because he was on a winning team, right? It was like, well, LaMelo's doing it on a team where it matters. But I'll tell you what, after watching them drop trow and spread cheek the other night against Indiana, uh, are they better? Are they a winning team, right? Like at this point, you could make the argument Minnesota finished the better team than Charlotte. And so I'm throwing that argument out the window. And as impressive as Ant was down the stretch, I'm going to give it to him, man. I think his progression was just it was kind of startling, to be honest with you. And I think moving forward for Minnesota, I hope they bring in some vets for him. To keep him grounded make sure his circle is good because the question is no longer how good can he be it's can he not fuck this up right because i think we can all see it the kid's got to screw loose and on the court honestly it might be a good thing right you know that play with that edge and that looseness but off the court that's the concern so we'll see with that moving forward i'm going to give him the rookie of the year now as far as mellow goes which again narratives this is kind of this is kind of similar to the Jokic Steph argument here, where I'm going to give it to Edwards, but the narrative, everything else around it, it might go to Steph, and I feel like the same way with Melo. Melo still probably will win this just because of the branding and the highlight factory and all that. So, but I, as far as he goes moving forward, I'm just excited to see him with a bigger role. They've got to hand him the keys. Talked about you know getting Graham out of there or maybe Rozier, maybe both. I don't know. Um, he's already so skilled. I'm curious to see what changes he can make to his body this offseason, how much stronger he can get. That should really help him as far as finishing in the paint and then defensively. Tyrese Halliburton, same as Melo, how much stronger can he get? Right? His game is already so refined. And so if he can come back a little stronger, a little more durable, you know, he's just going to keep getting better. I think the bad news for Halliburton is the Kings announced Luke Walton's going to be back. They're bringing Luke Walton back, man. So who knows what the rotation will be, right? Who knows what his role will be, man? And I'm of the belief that he should be the point guard and De'Aaron Fox should be the two guard. But Luke might be playing him at the three, so I don't know. I don't know, man. Here we go, coach of the year. Again, I thought it was Monty already. I had already congratulated him, but uh, that was my bad. So the finalists are Monty Williams, Quinn Snyder, and Tom Thibodeau. This one, just like Defensive Player of the Year, it's going to be close, right? I think you could give it to any one of them. I think Tibbs gets the shock factor vote. They're the most surprising team in my eyes. And then with Quinn, you can't really argue having the best record, right? That's kind of the traditional vote, the the team with the best record. Um, But you know what? Black lives matter. So I'm going to give it to Monty. And I say that tongue-in-cheek, but I don't because... Look, he's every bit as deserving as these other guys. I went over why the other day on the podcast. But I also think in 2021, every organization, especially the NBA, is very much aware of that. And we've heard so much talk about black coaches getting opportunities. So I think it's just a good look to give it to him. And again, I don't want to take anything away from his performance. He's deserving of it. But when you're looking at three candidates that are all deserving, now that may play a factor in the decision. So my pick is Monty, and I think Monty wins it. Hell, I think it's been leaked that Monty won it maybe already, so. And then last but not least, the sixth man of the year, you've got Jordan Clarkson, Joe Ingles, and Derrick Rose. What I think they did here with this, because this is unprecedented, right? All right? That's not true. Were Lou and Trez both up for sixth man for the Clippers? So maybe I misspoke there, but I think what they're trying to do here is they're trying to set it up to make sure that Utah gets at least one award winner for having the best record in the league. And so by putting both of these two in there, maybe that ensures that. Now Clarkson's been the favorite all season. You look at Ingles, and he put up you know relatively sim- similar numbers, a little, you know, little less scoring, but much more efficiently. And then as far as Derrick Rose goes, you could make the argument that he is the most important to his team. If you remove any one of these three players from their team, Rose is probably the most important. Did you know D-Rose shot 41% from three? I think it's time to reevaluate what a good three-point shooter is, right? Because like, low 30s isn't cutting it anymore. You might not be able to shoot it the way guys are all shooting 40% now. So I don't know. Um, but I think you got to go Clarkson. I do. Uh, never mind the efficiency or the, the, st- the averages. I think there were just too many nights... Where Jordan Clarkson just changed the game. He came in and it wasn't always how much he scored, it was when he scored. And so I'm gonna go Jordan Clarkson, sixth man of the year. All right, on to last night's game, if that's what you wanna call it. Pacers, Wizards, game starts and Russ comes shooting out of a fucking cannon, right? Like Tuesday in Boston never happened. He's such a unique dude and, and it's kind of like a mind over matter thing. I don't even know what was wrong with him, I don't even think they said, right? He comes out and he's just looking like Russ, pushing the pace, just attacking, super aggressive. You know what, though? I, I bet you anything <laughs> Russ is terrible at Jenga because he has no touch. Like, you see him shoot that that little pull-up off glass, even when he goes off glass. Like, that is supposed to be a very soft shot, that that Tim Duncan, you know, off glass, right in that area right there. And I know Russ shoots it coming downhill. He's not, like, stationary. But even when he shoots that, it comes off hard. Even when it goes in, it goes in violently, man. And so saw him shooting that a lot. And then uh, when Russ pulls up for three on a two for one, is that not just really a one for one? <laughs> but yeah, then the whiz rolled him. It wasn't even really competitive. So I don't have a whole lot of takeaways other than that, just giving Russ a hard time like I usually do. But I do have some thoughts on the Pacers since their season is officially over. Finally figured out who Malcolm Brogdon reminds me of. Andre Miller. That floor-based, change-of-pace game, super strong. Now, I get it. Andre Miller, I know what you're saying. He's a way better passer, right? I know Brogdon likes to score more than that. Brogdon, probably a little better athlete, right? But they're built, and there's, there's just some similarities. Because the, Brogdon's such a unique guy, I finally found a comp, even though... Uh, their mentalities may be a little bit different on the court. The other thing that I wanted to talk about is I'm kind of having a hard time gauging how good Sabonis is. Because a part of me feels like he's kind of just getting numbers because he's getting the touches. What does he really look like on a contender? Is he your number three? Can he be your number two option on a contender? Because I think one thing's clear. If Indiana didn't figure out anything else, Sabonis isn't a number one, right? I mean. People will look and say he had a triple double, but they got rolled, right? And you watched him in both of these play-in games kind of struggle offensively. Again, the numbers were there because of the opportunity and the touches. He was going to keep getting them, but I think what I saw was that signature physicality that he's known for was matched in these play-in games. And so he no longer kind of had that advantage. And listen, he's a nice player, man. I'm I'm not trying to throw shade at him. I just wonder um, if the Pacers still feel like they can build around him. Is he a franchise player? I think it's fringe, right? He's an all-star. He's a nice player. But do you build around him? Or maybe does Indiana just blow this thing up? Because surely he would net them the most. And I also get it. Look, they're missing Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, Lamb. There's all these injuries. So maybe that's what's making him look bad. I don't know. I don't know. Those are the questions I have for the Pacers. I think the most interesting thing about the game last night, though, was Nate Bjorken, the guy everybody hates, was mic'd up. Take a listen.
1: We're giving up so many at the basket with Westbrook. Plant your feet and take a charge, man. We, there's charges. He's just lowering his shoulder into it. All right? Sprint back. Hey, when, when your teammate shoots the ball... That is an absolute sprint back. You guys are like watching and waiting and see if it goes in. It's gonna go in. Okay, so let's make sure that we're sprinting back on the flight. It's like they got one-on-one in open court over and over. But we gotta get our consecutives rolling here, okay? Thomas, come here! I know, come here. No, I, know. I ain't taking you out. I know they do, and I ain't taking you out. You got three. Don't hey, don't get another one, okay? Hey, but keep protecting. Since the start of the half, listen, we've given up four layups and two free throws. We got to protect that paint better, okay? Four layups and two free throws. That's not that's not how we're playing. We're a lot better than that now. Come on.
0: Look, I can see why he rubs guys wrong. It's his tone. He sounds like he's talking down to the players. One thing I learned as a coach, it's very important to speak to players As if they already understand, but you're just reminding them. Don't talk to them like, you don't get it. This is what we, you go, hey man, remember, this is what we're trying to do. I know you know, but I'm reminding you. That's how you finesse it. And he seems to have none of that, right? You can just see it in his tone. And so I get it. I get why he rubs guys wrong. And I thought that was very insightful to hear him mic'd up. And look, I think his intentions are good. Again, it's just a personality thing. You know, Maybe at the college level it'll work, but yeah, I think they got to move off him. I think they got to move off him. I get it now. So now we've got Sixers-Wizards officially the 1-8 matchup. Washington's certainly not the easiest eighth seed I've ever seen, right? There's a lot of pride on that team, and when they get rolling and can push the pace, it's a problem for anyone, right? But I mean, off the top, I think the biggest problem is russ is facing the one other point guard in the league he can't physically bully i just sat here and told you ben simmons is the defensive player of the year that's a bad matchup for russ and so that you know that's the first thing that comes to my mind and then i don't know about y'all i'm not feeling too good about the alex len joel Embiid matchup i don't know maybe y'all feel a little better but i don't know but what i'm getting at is they might have to just start lopez i don't know how much len can play on Embiid. he's gonna he's gonna chew his ass up and three or four minutes on the floor. So, yeah, you know, maybe one of the lesser competitive first-round matchups we're going to get. Tonight, Warriors, Grizz, no alchemy jinx. I've got nothing to say, but Steph, Draymond, go get the shit done. Don't even give them no life. Just roll them off the floor at the chase center. I'll have the breakdown tomorrow for y'all on that one. And then Saturday, the playoffs begin, and the shit is looking spicy, y'all. The shit is looking spicy. Bucks Heat, Clippers Mavs, Denver Portland, and Nets Celtics. That's day one of the playoffs. Let's go. This is the Hezzy, brought to you by BasketballGods.net. I'm out, y'all.